The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. And we praise our victorious King. Father, would you be lifted up even higher now in our presence as we look to your word. May that light that shines in the darkness illuminate. And uh, may we see Jesus better this day and respond in uh, the way we talked about before with an I will. Amen. You may be seated. Well, many moons ago, back at the beginning of summer, we decided we were going to start in the book of Genesis. And when I say we, I mean me. Well, I think with uh, the Holy Spirit we're directing there. And uh, said at the end of summer, we would switch to the book of the Revelation. I have to get this off my chest. I'll try not to say this every week for a second. But uh, you, you might have noticed I have an occasional pet peeve. Okay? Yeah? Uh, well... Putting an S on the end of this is one of them. I don't know why that really bothers me, but when people always say, Revelations, it's not Revelations. It's Revelation. Why that bothers me, I don't know. Uh, Meyer also bothers me. It's Meyer, not Myers. Just, just so we clarify that. Uh, just so you know uh, where that is. But a little background here. The book of the, of the Revelation was written by anybody? John, that is correct. John also wrote the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, so he's the author of five books. Uh, this one he wrote probably when he was in his 90s, and uh, John is uh, unique. He holds a distinction among the disciples in that John was the only one who was not martyred. That's right. So John wrote this, but uh, he was in exile. He wasn't killed, but he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. It was about a six-by-nine-mile island, mainly a rock island that was a penal colony. So he was sent out there, uh, and that's where he lived out uh, his days. And that is also where uh, God revealed to him the revelation. But since we're talking about the revelation, we are going to look at what exactly is revealed. Does that make sense? Revelation, reveal. What is it that God revealed in the book of Revelation? Well, to start with, we're going to go back to verse number one in a minute here. But uh, in verse number 19 of chapter one, oh, by the way, sorry, another pet peeve. Last week, our little screen here was flickering on and off. And I'm trying to read the scripture, and it would cut out, and I'd have to wait for it to come back on. Not one person in this entire church said, look at the other screen. <laughs> Not one. I didn't know that one was working fine. Uh, nobody in the sound booth said, look over there. My wife was down the hallway, so we'll give her a pass. But not one. You, you just enjoy watching me struggle where you weren't paying attention. I don't know. But uh, not one person could have said, look behind you. Next time, help me out here a little bit. All right, starting over. All right. Right there for the things that you have seen, okay, the instruction to John from God, those that are, though, and those, I'm sorry, those that, that you've seen, those that are and those that are to take place in the future, okay? Write the things you've seen, the things that are, and the things that are going to take place in the future. Now, when we think of the book of the Revelation, we think of the things that are going to take place in the future. And, well, we should because once we get to chapter 4 through 22, that's mainly what we're going to talk about. However, for today, 
Uh, we're going to look at chapters 1 through 3, so we're mainly going to talk about what has already taken place and those that are currently taking place. So let's go back to verse number 1 of chapter 1, and uh, the book begins by saying it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't forget those words, what is being revealed, mainly Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Let me stop here for a second. When you see that word soon, these things are coming soon. But this was written a couple thousand years ago. My idea of soon and your idea of soon would not be a couple thousand years. Okay, and we could say, well, that's because with God, uh, time is different and he's outside of time. And that's possible. But actually, when you study that word soon and you look at it, what it is really saying is these things are going to happen quickly. In other words, once they start to happen, wham. Okay, it's going to be like, wait a minute. Uh, you know how nowadays you get something that makes the news and it has a little cycle? And then even if it's still going on, people lose interest and they have to move on to something else. There will be no time to change uh, or even cover a news cycle. It's going to be, here we go, and now this, and now this, and now this. In other words, once these end times are coming, uh, the fire hydrant is open. And they're going to come fast and furious. Now, he made it known by sending an angel to servant John, while on the Isle of Patmos, who bore witness uh, to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. And then he says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. That's all he said, right? Wait a minute. <laughs> he added something else rather important. And those who keep it. For the time is near. Okay, don't forget that last thing. Just gathering together. Uh, blessed are those who hear. Great, there's a blessing promise. Blessed are those who, uh, who read it. Great, but blessed are those who keep it. Now let's go back to the theme Adam introduced for us, that I will. Throw that in here. Those who actually keep what's going on here. Now, I want, as I said, to talk about what is being revealed in the book of the Revelation. So, the first thing we've would say and say, duh, we all knew this, is we are going to see the future, right? Uh, in verse number three that we just read, it used the word prophecy. That's one of five different times uh, when the book of Revelation uses that word prophecy. And some would say, well, you know, prophecy can be a distraction. You don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, it's not all that important. And I, I guess you could spend too much time on it. But at the same time, when you study scriptures, uh, scholars tell us that one out of every four verses has something to do with prophecy. And honestly, I would say people are interested in the future, would you not? Now, some of you are old enough to remember the horoscope craze. You know, everybody's looking at their horoscope. I don't know if that's real big today that anybody looks at their horoscope to find out what's going on. Though I do get pretty excited at the end of my Chinese dinner for my fortune cookie to find out uh, what's going on. But it is amazing today just how people get sucked into people, anybody who predicts anything. Have you noticed? I do. Uh, I'm a big football fan, and uh, the football season is starting, and I keep seeing these articles about, you know, we're predicting who the top ten, this and that, and everything, you know, who's going to be the rookie of the year and everything like that. And I read them all as if these guys had a clue. They're wrong every year. They change it all the time. They already have a forecast for next year's draft uh, in, the, in the NFL, which is going to be wrong and changed 16 times. Uh, and I read it still like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. And we're fascinated with it. Somebody said, we ought to be interested in the future because you're going to spend the rest of your life there. Uh, but, uh, and that is very true. But we get to see a peak in the book of Revelation. We get to see into the future. And if you're concerned that, uh, you know, why, why exactly would you do this? For one thing, prophecy gives us a look into one of the aspects of God's character. 
and that is his omniscience, that he knows everything. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 41, we find that uh, Isaiah wrote, and he said, your other gods, let them try to predict the future. Read through 41. It's kind of like, they're not going to get it right, but God gets it right every time. Uh, this is part of how we see the character of God and how awesome he, he is. So uh, as we look towards the future, though, I think we can acknowledge uh, Dennis, uh, one of our elders, taught last Sunday night about uh, end times eschatology, and and one of the things that he likes to say is that we you know we want to approach it. We don't want to be not scared, but excited. I didn't get his right words, uh, but basically we can look towards the future with either anxiety, or we can look to it with trust. Uh, Corey Timboom said we can trust an unknown future to a infinitely perfect, all-knowing God. And that's, where we, that's how we want to look at it as, as we see it. So we do know that one of the things revealed is going to be the future. Another thing that came up in there is the idea of a blessing. Uh, there is a blessing uh, promised to the future. And you might look at the book of Revelation and read some of it, and especially read through the different judgments and say, I ain't seeing the good news here. Okay, I'm not seeing the blessing as far as that goes. All I can tell you about that is keep reading. Okay, you really have to get to the end of the book of Revelation to get it. Um, I think uh, back, oh man, it was probably 15 years ago now or close to it, but my wife and I were introduced for the first time to what is known as binge watching. Okay, we were, uh, I was still teacher school and we had a couple of snow days and somebody had loaned us a set of DVDs of a, of a show called 24. Okay, some of you remember 24. Uh, and uh, we, uh, I think we got season four is where we started. And there were seven seasons or something like that, but we started on season four. And sure enough, you know, we're sitting there in snow, and you, some of you have been there. One more. Okay, just one more. Uh, then we're going to bed. It's a good thing it snowed the next day because it was two more. Uh, and, you know, we were watching Jack Bauer Save the World. But if you ever, if you remember that show at all, it was incredibly intense. And you always thought Jack Bauer was going to die. In fact, he did die several times. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we're watching this first series and, you know, we're getting to the place, and really, we're like, he's going to die. You know, he's going to die at the end of this thing. But then you remember, this is season four. <laughs> there's five, uh, six, and there's seven. We know he makes it. We know how this ends. And I think that is so important that we realize that, you know, as we read through the book of Revelation, we know how this ends, okay? Maybe if you need to ahead of time, read the end and then go back and read it. Maybe you're going to need that because you might have a hard time seeing the incredible blessing as we go through th some of it, but definitely promise in there and revealed in there the blessing of God. Thirdly, and, and maybe most importantly, what is revealed in the book of Revelation is the person of Jesus Christ. The opening phrase, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a couple of old scholars uh, that many of you have heard of. One guy by the name of Martin Luther and another guy by the name of John Calvin. Neither one of them liked the book of Revelation. Uh, Luther kind of flirted with the idea of maybe he wasn't going to mention it at all and, and didn't think it should be in Scripture. Calvin wrote a commentary on every other book of the New Testament except for Revelation. But their reasoning amazed me because they said there's not enough in there about Jesus. Now, these guys were incredible with the Reformation, but not so great on the Revelation. Because when you look at the book of Revelation, Jesus is all through it. Uh, we're going to look at part of this text in a minute here, but uh, 9 through 17 is just a description of him uh, in the flat, in uh, a personification of him describing Jesus. We're going to look at part of that in a minute. Uh, then you go on in the rest of chapters 2 and 3, he superintends the churches. We'll find him being the lion, the judge. We'll read about his return, his reign. At the end, we'll see him illuminate 
as we were singing that last song and thinking about him lighting up the darkness, I thought, that, man, that is just perfect and what the light that he is forever, the awesomeness of who he is. Well, let me go back for a second and, as I mentioned, read part of the description that we have of Jesus there uh, in the middle of chapter 1. It says, The hairs on his head were white like white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in the furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. There definitely could be a day's sermon that goes into his description here, but I just wanted to point out two things that always jump out to me when I see this. One of the things is this idea of his eyes were the flame of fire. I see his eyes, if you want to say piercing right through. Um, we see many times in the life of Christ when he uh, had confrontations with different people. It says he knew their hearts. He knew exactly what was going on. And, and this is a truth that uh, really it's one of those things, if I just remember this idea, it changes my life in so many different ways. I realize that Jesus sees right into me. He sees right into my heart. He knows me better than I know myself. Why in the world would I ever want to put on a show? Why would I ever want to pretend? Because he knows me. You know, the other thing, by the way, sometimes it reminds me um, oftentimes people judge our motives. Have you ever been caught in that? You know, if you love people, you do this. You know, if you really love God, you do this. And sometimes I can say, that person saying that doesn't know my heart. I mean, I want to have my heart open before God, but I don't really have to pay attention to every criticism I get, especially if somebody is trying to judge my motives because they don't know my motives. But God knows my motives. Oh, by the way, I don't know other people's motives either. And it is really wise that I remember that. You know, sometimes I want to look and say, ah, they're just so selfish, it's unbelievable, or they're just, they just don't care about God, or they don't even love, you know. And I find myself even sometimes in sermons, sometimes, you know, wanting to, yeah, well. In fact, I did it once last week. I kind of rebuked myself for that. I don't know hearts, okay? I do not. So I leave that uh, to the Holy Spirit of God and these piercing eyes. The other thing I did want to mention is this burnished bronze. Bronze in the Bible is always a picture of judgment, in the Old Testament, the bronze altar that they used was where the animal was sacrificed. And, you know, we get so caught up sometimes in, well, I don't really want to talk about the judgment of Jesus. We don't, you know, we just want to focus on, uh, you know, Jesus. If you're going to focus on Jesus, you're going to focus on that too. Okay? Judgment. Real, real plain. So we, we can't skip that. And we'll see that uh, as we go on. Okay. So let's add to our list here. Uh, what is revealed in the book of Revelation, the future for sure. We're going to really jump into that next week. Uh, the blessing, the, per the person of God, which we'll see throughout the book of Revelation as we go through the person of Jesus Christ. But then in chapters 2 and 3, he really focuses on uh, and reveals the state of the church. Okay, There are, in chapters 2 and 3, what we call seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. They might should be labeled postcards because they're pretty short. But God basically takes these piercing eyes and he says, hey, here's what I see. Here's what's good about you. Here's what's bad about you. And he goes through. And some of you might remember, I don't know if that is large enough that you can read it where you are, but the seven churches are scattered throughout what is modern day, you know what country that is today? Turkey, that's right, that's Turkey, uh, seven churches of Asia Minor. And, uh, you know, scholars sometimes have looked and said, I wonder why these churches, because the biggest church in Asia Minor at that time was at Antioch. And then you think the church at Jerusalem, that would have been a hub. And you think the church at Rome, that would have been a big hub. So why these seven churches? And most scholars believe that not only do they give us specifics for our lives to apply. In other words, we can look at what Jesus said about the, each church and say, okay, where am I as far as that goes? What would God think about that? The 
church at Ephesus, which had left its first love, the church of Philadelphia, which was faithful, and each one of them has a description going through there and say, hey, you know, what would God say about me? So we can look at them and make a personal application, but most scholars are also convinced that these churches depict the, the church during different time periods. And most are convinced that the church of Laodicea, the last church, really describes the church as we know it now, back in 1870s. So 150 years ago, a preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon said that this letter to Laodicea is a letter to the church of today, okay, 1870. And uh, what I wanted to do with our time here is we're going to go through verse by verse and look at his little postcard to Laodicea. And um, that begins in chapter 3 and verse number 14. Okay, the condition of the church, I think, today is described here. And remember, as we go through this, uh, this is a description of the church. This is not, hey, we're describing the world as it is. This is the church. This is the believers, uh, those who name the name of Jesus, those who claim him uh, to be their Lord and Savior. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea, write these words. The words of the amen, that's uh, he is the first and the last, the faithful and true, the beginning of God's creation. So here's what Jesus has to say. Imagine that for a second. Jesus wrote you a little postcard. Hey, here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. Uh, Sending it to our church. He says, I know your works. And he says, you're neither hot nor cold. Would it that you were either hot or cold so that, here's, uh, I'm sorry, would that you were either hot or cold? So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, when I read that, I think, that's kind of me. That's kind of me. I don't know that I could always say, hey, I'm on fire for God like I want to be, and, and uh, that's kind of me. And that's kind of us. That's God's a lot of people. But, you know, I think we're all right. I mean, I think we're doing better than most people. And I think overall, I mean, like I said, that describes the church today. So that's where we are. So maybe this isn't all that big of a deal. Let me say what I just said before. Um, it's kind of me. It's kind of you. It's kind of us as a church. I think that describes most people, so maybe it's not that big of a deal, right, that we would be lukewarm. I mean, we're, we're okay. We're better than most. We're giving, uh, you know, some to church. We're here today. You know, this is all good. I, th I think we're all right. I think we're okay. I think we're fine. Are you hearing that and comparing it to what Jesus said? He said, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Disgusting. This isn't what I want. I want all your heart. I want you to dedicate to me. I mean, it's, it's tough stuff. I got to tell you, I, well, I'll get into that a little bit more, just the, the journey that I've had with this this week, because, I mean, I think this passage screams, give me your attention here for a second, okay? This is not, uh, you know, hey, make you feel better. Okay, you did your time. You put it in your church. This is, hey, look what I'm calling you to. There's more. Okay, there's more than just going through the motions. There's more than just a lukewarm, okay, Christianity part of my life business. There's something more that I'm calling to. In fact, he goes on, he says this, he says, for you say I'm rich, I have prospered. I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm good. I've got this. We're doing pretty good. You're not even realizing that you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Here's my counsel to you, Jesus says. You uh, I want you to buy from me gold refined by the fire that you can be rich. I want you to have something that lasts into eternity. Okay? 
I don't want you to be satisfied saying, ah, I got enough of what this world has to offer. I want you to have eternal wealth. I want you to have the, wealth, the type of wealth that I want to give. And white garments that you may clothe, and the shame of your nakedness shall not be seen. I want you to be clothed in my righteousness. I want you to walk in that, what I want to give you. You know, my holiness, my purity, I want to give you that. Not just walking around in your own good deeds and your own merit and thinking you're good, I'm fine, I've done enough. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I want you to see things as I see them. And then he says this, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Those who I love, and when I first read this, again, it's like, man, I feel a little bit beat up by this whole thing. But then I feel like, well, God comes back and he says, oh, wait a minute. You understand something, don't you? Those who I love, I rebuke. Those who I love, I'm telling this to. Okay, I love you. That's why I'm encouraging you to be zealous, to be on fire, and to repent. He goes on and says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. I remember that verse very well. The first time I heard the gospel preached, I remember the pastor stopping at the end and talking about God knocking on the door of my heart. And I was like, yeah, how does he know? Uh, Sure enough, he was. And many times this verse is used in evangelism, and I don't really think that is a misuse. But actually what God's saying here is, the one, uh, I will come into him, and I'm going to eat with him. I'll sup with him, and he with me. When the Bible talks about the idea of sitting and sharing a meal, it is talking about just a closeness. Drawing together, hey, you know, kind of an intimacy. We're going to draw together. We're going to eat together. This is special in that way. I have to work on that because um, I really like to eat. And, uh, you know, my wife and I will go out and we'll order something and the food comes and we pray real fast and because and, uh, I'm hungry. And, uh, and then, you know, I dig in. By the time I look up and I'm on my last bite, my wife has just organized her plate. You know. Ready, salt and pepper, uh, and everything like like that. And we we've, we kind of learn. You know, I kind of eat like the dog. You know, you hand the dog. Did you even taste that? Uh, and I think I think a lot of times she looks at me like that too. And I have a tendency not to be real social when I eat. Uh, I have learned to leave my phone in the car. Okay, uh, and just because otherwise, you know, I'm fidgeting or I'm playing with that, or you know, if you take me to a place that has a TV on, I'm distracted by that, and. And to really take this time, but the the type of eating together that he's talking about there is just like, hey, this is where we're really going to spend some good time together. Okay, this is where we're going to get close together. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what God calls us to. This is what he wants. He doesn't want a haphazard, oh, yeah, yeah, I go to church. Well, I mean, most time we go to church, whatever, like that. He calls us to an intimacy that is beyond what we're looking for in a lot of cases. I don't really want this. This might be too much. This might dominate too much of my life, but this is what he calls us to. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Would you imagine with me, please, that uh, God writes our church a little letter? Dear community, what do you think it'll say? Man, that church is on fire. That church is it. Man, they've, they've, got, they've got, you know, a passion in their hearts, burning in their hearts for me. Or do you think, and honestly, and, and yeah, yes, I am preaching to myself here, folks. Don't, don't take this as a, hey, he decided to attack us. Or do you think we would be described more like this? 
I, I do believe that most of our churches today would be described more like the church of Laodicea. We're content. We're going through the motions. We're comfortable where we are, and that's where we want to stay. See, we kind of look at our Christian life sometime, and we make a little pie chart, and we think, okay, I want to make sure that Jesus has a part. I mean, you got it. Family's important. That's got to have a big part. Work, that, you're locked into that. That's got to be there. And then you got your fun. You know, that, you got to have fun, too. But uh, want to make sure that Jesus has a part. And you know what? If we're growing spiritually, the good news is that Jesus' part just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The only trouble is I don't really like this chart at all. I think our chart needs to look more like this. A Christ-centered life where he and every other area that you put in there, and of course we could divide that up into multiple different areas of our life, but that he is the center of all of that. That is what he's calling us to. He's not calling us to, hey, I want to give Jesus part of me. There's nothing in Scripture like that. It is all. It is all, take up your cross and follow me. What he calls us to is this very thing. He calls us to a Christ-centered life. Okay, I want to take a couple minutes, and, and please forgive me for doing this uh, if, if this is not what you came for, but I want to tell you a little bit about a journey I've been on, okay? And really bring it into this week and what this passage has done in my life as I've looked at it. But... Um, I went, um, and please, I'm not making this like the end of the world. I did not have open heart surgery, a heart transplant, or anything like that. But I had hip surgery about five weeks ago. Uh, and um, going into that, I, I don't, I'm 62, but, I mean, the last couple of times we were down with the grandkids, I couldn't hold the grandkids because my hip hurt so bad. I was like, oh, I can't. And uh, she's a little chunk, but still, uh, uh, you know, but still, you think I could hold her at 62. And I, I couldn't hold her, and I, I kind of hated that. And my wife and I would take walks, and I'd be like, honey, you go on. <laughs> I'm going to sit here. I mean, I've always done that when we've gone shopping. But, uh, there, but, but a walk, I can usually stay with her. And I, honestly, I was feeling old. And I don't, I mean, I just was. I was just kind of like, man, how old am I? You know, how much, how much longer do I have? Uh, and uh, kind of weird, but I'm, I'm like really pumped now. I'm, not, I'm like, hey, there's a new freedom. Uh, I'm going to do a back, no, I'm not going to do a back off the stage. But, uh, but, but I, I really am just kind of excited about the whole prospect of being able to move again and carry the grandkids and walk better and everything like that. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about this whole thing, pretty excited. But it's also, I, you know, I've had some time in sitting and thinking about everything, and I, you, you, know, you just start playing the game. Okay, it's like I have a new lease on life. So what's that look like? You know, what's on my bucket list? Well, my bucket list honestly doesn't have any places on it. You know, there's some places that we're, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon this fall. There's a place I'd like to see, but there's nothing like, man, I really want to see that uh, before I die, or I really want to go there. My bucket list is pretty simple. I want to live this life like it's a gift from God and do everything I can to bring honor and glory to Him for as long as He gives me, and then I want to die like this life is not all that I have, that the eternal life is my greatest possession. That's really what I want. Okay, that, that's kind of on my bucket list th to go through. So I get thinking about that, and then I kind of move over to as far as the church goes. And, um, and, and honestly, one of my big things is I, I don't want to ever be writing it out, you know, phoning it in. He's done, you know. Uh, sorry, Sports Illustration, you know, the quarterback who stays around too long, not to mention Ben Roethlisberger's name, but, uh, you know, somebody like that who just doesn't have anything left and he's still, you know, and, he, and he's still going out there. Uh, you know, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I've told the elders, you start to see it, come on, start a rumor. 
<laughs> in the church. Get me out of there. Uh, you know, do something. You can get rid of me because I, I don't want to do that. I just don't want to be going through the motions, and I don't want us to be doing that as a church. I don't want us to be going through the motions. So, you know, so I'm reading this thing this week, you know, about this lukewarm business, and um, again, my thoughts a little bit, yeah, it's probably me a little bit, but uh, no big deal. And then I thought, uh, Jesus says, you got your mouth. It is a big deal. Okay, and I, you know, I thought, man, I don't, I don't, I don't really want that. And, and honestly, um, my my normal Saturday routine is we, if we do something like a day off, we do it on Friday and Saturday. I usually come in here in the morning and I practice my sermon. I'm sorry, I don't stand here and practice the whole thing, but I, I go through it uh, and preach through it a couple of times. And uh, usually, I get so excited, I'm like, can't wait. Uh, you know, I leave here on cloud nine. Yesterday, I was driving home after doing that, and I was like, uh, well, something's wrong. Because honestly, I, I want to confess to you, I'm struggling with this because quite, I like being comfortable. I like being comfortable. You know, if, if, if God's going to you know, step, want me to step up the game as far as my passion for him, my zeal, my love for others, I think I'm doing pretty good. And, and, and you know, and I, I've been actually for, for a little while thinking about, hey, you know, what would be a good, you know, kick in the pants for our church? What would be a good thing just to say, hey, you know, make sure we're just not going through the motions. And as I prayed about it, I wasn't real sure which direction to go. Uh, we have a friend who's actually, uh, he's uh, Bree's father, works at Light Action, and he, he sent me an email. He just said, hey, we got, suddenly we have an opening this fall, I think through a cancellation, and he said we could come over. And I thought, well, Life Action, I don't really know about them too well. Last time I was at one of their things was when I was in high school, so you know how long ago that was. But, uh, you know, and I, but the more I thought about it and prayed about it, you know, I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe this is exactly what God's dumping on our lap. So in September, I should have written down the date, but I think it's the 17th, 18th. It's the 18th we're going to start. Uh, the team from Life Action is going to come and hold some meetings for us. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. My first reaction is our people won't come back. And uh, Honestly, that's where I was. And then I thought, no, God, I think this is what you gave us for a little shakeup. Okay? I think somehow we, we just need to, you know, we can't. So it. I hope I'm making sense. I am preaching to myself, but I hope, you know, I'm connecting a little bit. It is so easy for me just to be comfortable, you know, and just, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's good enough. I'm having a good time. How's church doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Offering's been pretty good. Yeah, summer tennis, a little shaky, but yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, you know, well, we're, we're happy and I'm content. Pretty good. Pretty good. That, that, that's all we need. I really do believe that God calls us beyond that. I really believe that God wants to light a fire under Mike Easter and, and uh, under the church. So I want to specifically encourage you today with a couple things. One is this. In two weeks, Josh mentioned we're going to have our service up there by the lake, and we're going to have a baptismal service. If that is a step that you're kind of flirting with as far as, ah, I don't know that I really want, I don't know if I should be baptized or not. Can I tell you something? That is a step of obedience to Jesus Christ and saying, yes, I identify with him publicly and I want to follow him. And I really want to encourage you. Uh, I've got a couple weeks left to, you know, to, to reach out and talk. And we would love to have baptistry uh, with a lake where we baptize many there filled, filled that day. So I really want to encourage you to say, hey, God, you know, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of toying with this. I've been kind of playing with this. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm in, maybe I'm not. Lukewarm. The other thing I just really want us to do as a church is pray, okay? I, <laughs> okay, you know, I come home sometimes with my exciting ideas, 
and uh, you know maybe I found the great uh, you know house for us to go away to on our anniversary or whatever like that and then sometimes Frances will look at it and you know she starts pointing out the things that are wrong and uh, she kind of rains on my parade uh, and you know and and but uh, I have learned that I have to give her some time to kind of process things you know what I mean you know I'm excited I got to give her some time to get excited too. Or I come in with a great idea. Hey, why don't we get the kids together for this? I got to let her process it a little bit. And I'm learning that slowly but surely. And I realize I've got to do that with you too. I have been praying, you know, this summer, and I have been, this sermon has been going over and over me for a week. You know, and I'm like, come on, folks, this is exactly what God wanted to give us here at the beginning. Come on! Every one of you get to this altar on your knees and cry and repent. I mean, you know, I'm kind of, you know, like I'm ready for everybody to jump in and and get a piece of this. And I realize that I am ahead of you. Uh, You know what I mean. Not spiritually, (laughs) chronologically. Uh, And uh, and there, you know, I've been down this road a little bit and I've been processing this. But I would ask you to pray about this with me. Okay? Just pray. And, And mainly... Okay, we don't want to just keep going through the motions, okay? I've mentioned this before. Francis and I have a pretty simple life. We can finance it by both getting a job at Walmart. We could be the first team of greeters. We would be awesome. Uh, so, so I don't want you to ever think i got to keep that guy around, you know, to pay his bills or whatever like that. You don't have to. And I don't want to do that, okay? If we're not going to be passionate, if we're not going to be excited, if we're going to be lukewarm, let's not play the game, Okay? Get somebody else in here that, that, that has a little fire or whatever like that. So I want to ask you just to kind of take this as a challenge here um, as we move into August. And again, we're like six weeks. We're two weeks away from the baptism and the picnic up at uh, Life Action. And then uh, their team's going to come in uh, for us on the, uh, in September. And uh, I just ask you to pray about it. Um, I, I honestly, it's not, I, you know, I was online and looking for, and I didn't have a, a great idea, and I really feel like this is something God said, hey, this would be a good thing. Give, give me a little kick. <laughs> you hear how I talk? I'm not saying, we need a passion for God. Give it a little kick. Uh, I got a problem, okay? I got a problem that I could very easily settle into just a comfort zone as far as all of us are concerned. And that's not really what Jesus called us to. The king of the universe has taken up residence in our lives. The king of the universe wants to light the world. You know, when he, when he uh, talked about the churches, and I didn't really read that portion, he, he talked about the seven candlesticks. What a great picture. He says, hey, this is, this is your candlestick. I want you to light up your world with it. Uh, that, that's the picture of what the church is supposed to be, illumination like that. And we want to do that, folks. Um, Sorry, one more goofy story. Hey, let's, uh, what was the first song we sang today? Yeah, let's do that one. Somewhere there was a line in the chorus that got me real excited. Yeah, we good, Adam? Can we, can we do one more? Adam and Barry and Patience and who else is up here? Yeah, now, come on up. Yeah. Yeah, no. No, just sometime this afternoon, if you guys would sing that, it'd be good. I don't care when. Uh... Let's do the, you know, one more goofy story. Um, I was talking to a guy this week, and, and uh, you know, a conversation went around, and somehow he asked what I did, and, you know, and I, I told him I was a bus driver. But then I eventually had to tell him I, I was a pastor, too. And he said, oh, he said, we go to church. And, uh, and he, I said, oh, where you go? And he told me, and I thought, this is a church that I used to live literally 
easy walk, you know, a three-minute walk from. And in 22 years of living in this area, I've never met anybody from there. I probably have, but I didn't know it. And I thought, you know, it's kind of like secret, secret. Did you know that in America right now, we don't have to be secret? People might laugh at us sometimes, and the day may come when we got to be secret again, but we don't have to be secret right now. We're supposed to be a light, but are we, or are we content with where we are? Got it? And preaching myself, okay? Giving you some time. Pray about it, okay? Not, Not expecting everybody to run up today and I'm with you. If you want to, it would be really encouraging. But, uh, but I am asking you just to, just to say, God, th- those, I, know, I know you have those eyes, those piercing eyes. God, would you, would you show me what's going on in my heart? What, what type of postcard would you write me? Where, where am I as far as this goes? Let's- You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.